Well, dear friends, uh, would you turn with me to First Timothy? First Timothy, and we will spend our time this morning once again in the Word of God from uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 3 to 7. Chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. Let us read from the Word of God. In fact, we'll start from verse 1 and end at 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and in truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we must admit that sometimes we approach your word in a cavalier manner, in a lethargic manner. But also we confess that sometimes the word of God does not make sense to us. Or sometimes sin, tiredness can get in the way of the living word. And sometimes fatigue and distractions could hinder us from hearing from you speak so loudly in this timeless word that is breathed out by you. But Heavenly Father, with that all being said, we ask that you would speak to us in accents so clear this morning. And that you would attend, O oh great physician, to our hearts, to our souls. The inner man, the invisible man, that also needs this cleansing, this sanctification. And we plead with you, O oh God, this morning, that if there's anyone in here who knows that they're not a Christian, who has searched their hearts and found themselves wanting. May you save them this morning. May today be their day of salvation. 
even as we look to your word. The means through which you save people. We pray that you may keep me clear, truthful, honest, and convinced by this very word. We pray that you'll be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you, whilst praying, stopped in your intercessions and your thanksgivings, and in the middle of those prayers, stopped and halted to marvel at the gospel? Paul, in his instruction to Timothy, whilst instructing him on prayer, what prayer is and the, various, and the various ways to pray and the aspects of prayer does what he does best and stops to marvel at the gospel. But before we even get there, I want us to remind, I want to remind us why we are studying First Timothy. Well, the epistle itself is about the church. It's about church governance and church order. And we see in chapter 1, Paul instructing Timothy on what is to be taught and what is not to be taught in the church by emphasizing that Timothy must deal with false teachings and doctrines in the church, which are contrary to what the Bible teaches. This is why we see in uh, chapter 1 verse 3, It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. Timothy was to rebuke false teachers, to preach the gospel, which in turn would give birth to sound doctrine, healthy teachings, and sound living. Uh, Then Paul as we see, delivers the gospel of grace and gives himself as a testimony of God's grace. In 1 Timothy verse 15, which may be the statement of the chapter, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And having said that, The Apostle Paul instructs on prayer. And it is as if he goes back where he left off in chapter 1. After expanding on prayer and how to pray, why to pray, he then goes back to the good old gospel, the good news that This is the reason why you should pray. That Jesus is in the business of saving sinners. And let me say this. Sinners need saving, dear friends. You ask, why are they meant to be saved? And what are they saved from? Well, from the wrath of God. From the wrath that is to come. From sin. From God himself. And so whilst instructing on prayer, Paul now begins to give the reasons to pray for all. And the gospel as the driving force 
all mechanism of prayer, more specifically evangelistic onward prayer, sorry, outward prayer for souls. And the title of my sermon this morning from verse 3 to 7 is the gospel preached by Paul. And we'll see the following points that it is for everyone. We will also see that it focuses on Christ the mediator. And we will also see that it firmly, it is firmly established by Christ himself. First off, then we see that the gospel preached by Paul is for everyone. We pick that from verse 3 in chapter 2. Let us look at the text together and read whilst learning from the scriptures. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. You may ask yourself, what is good? What, what is Paul talking about? And in this context, Paul is addressing prayer. So he actually means that it is good and pleasing in the sight of God to pray for all people in as far as salvation is concerned. God wants these prayers. God commands these prayers. They are a sweet aroma to him. And this is why we see in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Highlight pray. Highlight the Lord. Highlight harvest. Highlight laborers. It is through earnest prayer, dear friends, that God is pleased to save sinners. Yes, God saved you. But I want to tell you, dear friends, today that you are saved as a result of somebody else's prayers. Have you ever thought about that? That your salvation came through or came forth through somebody else's pleading for salvation of souls. Maybe you even saved by... Uh, through somebody in China's prayers or Thailand or Swaziland. Someone prayed for your salvation and God accomplished his eternal purposes of election through those prayers. And we see that in verse 4, there's a statement that brings everything together. This is good and it is pleasing the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now I know that this is a very problematic statement for your Calvinistic mind or your Reformed mind. What does it mean that God desires that all people must be saved? All sinners must be saved? So we know that God wants mankind, firstly, to know that there is original sin 
God wants mankind to know that instead of punishing mankind for his sins, in finality, he sent his son Jesus Christ as the ransom sacrifice. He sent, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for mankind. But what does it mean that he desires that all men come to the truth? What does it mean? Well, this phrase actually means that he desires all sorts of people, despite rank, ethnicity, status, whether you're a king or a subject or a servant. Shonan Debele, Tswana, Nyanja, women, men, children. He desires that all these people would come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does that contradict the Bible? By no means. By no means, because then he would not have said, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. It would then make sense that he desires that all people would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And of course, this is true, isn't it? Think about it. The word of truth, this Bible, is not accessible to everyone and anyone. There are some people who have never heard this truth before. There are some people even in this city who have never beheld the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what the, imper the imperative that we see here is that God desires that those same people would come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not closed up to the idea as some people would want to present God. There are some people who present God as a, a tyrant, an angry tyrant with a whip who delights to send people to hell. But that's not true as we see the scriptures. We see that God's character his posture towards sinners is not sadistic. He does not delight in sending people to hell. But if we were to use human language, there's a sense in which God is grieved by sinners who do not turn from their wicked ways. His posture does not override his holiness, his justice. He's absolutely holy and absolutely just, but... He does not desire that all men should die in sin. But because mankind loves sin and hates God and will not turn away from sin and hold on to sin, they will be damned to hell. Well, you may ask, where do we find this in the scriptures, pastor? And I would argue that this theme of God's character is quite vivid in the Old Testament. Despite God's critics accusing him 
to be an unappeasable tyrant. Open to Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, 32. You see this theme all across Ezekiel. That Israel has turned away from God. But God in his mercy continues to pursue him, to pursue them and call them to himself. Listen to this. Listen to the heart of God, dear friends. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from your, all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your own ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and leave. Ezekiel 33 verse 11. Continuing with this theme. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die? And if you are here and you're not a Christian, dear friends, God does not desire your best life now. He desires that you come to Him through Christ. He is not interested whether you will live a lavish life. He is interested in your soul. He wants your heart. Won't you come to Christ? Won't you come to God through Christ? Isaiah 45 verse 22, I believe this was the text that Charles Haddon Spurgeon was saved through as he was caught in a storm in a small Methodist church. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Dear friends, on the day of judgment, when you stand before the maker and God asks you to give an account, you do not have an excuse as to why you didn't turn to Christ when the gospel was preached. When the truth was presented, you have no excuse because you hardened your heart will willfully. You hardened your heart intentionally. You loved your sin more than you desired Christ. Hence, you ignored the truth until you die. This is, the, this is the urgency of the gospel, friends. We should get to a point where we are actually anxious for non-believers. We are actually uh, having sleepless nights over somebody's salvation. To say, God, why are you not saving this person? Or why is this person not turning from sin? In a heart of unbelief all your life, despite God's long-suffering and patience with you, will result in the door being closed, shut on you. What a terrible thing. What a fearful thing to be on the, in the, on the hands of, 
of the living God. What a terrible thing to be given a chance Sunday after Sunday. Day by day, the gospel is there, but your Bible is gathering cobwebs. Day by day, you are being warned by God's providence. When you have a, a near miss, whether it's an accident or you almost choke on a piece of rice. Or, 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 or you almost, you, you're just sick. Those are warning signs. Those are warning shots from God. That your time will come. But listen, where are you in the whole scheme of things? Have you believed in Christ? Are you a Christian? Do you believe you are a Christian? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your own life? Not in the, in the life of your neighbor, but you yourself. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is, is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There is a desire within the hearts of hearts of God that men will not perish. But men perish because they love sin and they hate God. That is why they perish. The gospel is there. The invitation is there. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when people read that, they ignore that. They don't come. Say, well, it's for other people. I will repent on my deathbed. That's what, that's what you hear people say. I know, pastor, I will repent later. Right now, let me enjoy my life. True repentance is never late. And late repentance is really true. Don't trifle with God. Don't mess around with God. If you know that your heart is not in the right place, if you know that your soul is not saved, throw yourself to Christ today, right now, right now as this gospel is being preached. This is a sure warning as well for Christians in here. That those who are not waging war against their sin, who are being presumptuous upon God, taking their salvation for granted, taking these truths for granted, must examine themselves to see whether they are in the faith and they've truly entered the narrow gate. And when we see here what... The Apostle Paul says, God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What is being said is that God desires that the truth may not only just be a mental thing, but that it will be a heart knowledge that affects works actions, desires, and tastes, and makes one who used to hate God love him. That's a knowledge of truth. Because the knowledge of truth translates or trans is transported to the heart. 
And it affects the heart in such a manner that the person's actions are changed. That the person's desires are changed. You, you will be a completely new creature. Where you loved sin, you now love righteousness. Where you loved sin, you begin to hate it. You begin to dis- distaste it. You begin to fight it. It's like an unwanted enemy, an unwanted visitor. A, a, a vicious dog that wants to bite you. You fight it ferociously. Not, yeah, well, you know, I'm waging war against sin. Fight the good fight with all thy might, dear friends, in Christ. And this gives one assurance of salvation when you're fighting and you're seeing victory in your life and you're seeing that your life is actually changing and God is doing work in your heart such that you have overcome different sorts of sin and immorality. There are many. That's why we're seeing our sins there. I mean, it's not only sexual sin. It's not only theft. Some people are plagued by greed. Some people are jealous. Some people are covetous. Some people are proud that the pride they have can kill them. Pride to death. Oh Lord, would you hear our cries this morning? What are the application or application? Don't tire praying for your loved one's salvation. That's the first application. God desires all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't stop sharing the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. You don't know the elect. But God does. And and the third one. Desire to have a heart and posture like God's. Even in your interrelations in the church. Knowing that God desires that all come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Would enable you to relate with your brothers and sisters in patience. Love forbearance you are not thinking of at, at any given moment I just want to hack my brother to death I want, I want to kill him desire to have a posture of God secondly we see that the, the gospel preached by Paul focuses on Christ the mediator and this will uh, sort of piggyback on what we learned this morning verse 5 for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. This is where Paul seems to make a pause break from teaching on prayer and focuses on the gospel. But what aspect of the gospel is he focusing on? He's focusing on Christ, the God-man. The very God of very God, Son of God, Son of Man, fully God and fully man, and one who reconciles man to God. You must know this morning, dear friends, that you cannot approach God without a mediator. 
But there is only one mediator which is acceptable to God. And that is the Son of God. It is the eternal Son of God. Jesus, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. You cannot approach God on any other terms. He will not hear you. He will not respond. He will not answer. And this is accordance to the scriptures. There is only one mediator which is accepted. The one who presented himself as an acceptable sacrifice to the wrath of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one who can appease me. All of you sinners, you're wretched. Your works are as filthy rags. You are rebellious from conception. <laughs> you are sinners. But I need one who is not a sinner. I need one who in essence is like me. And thus we see Jesus was sent. He became man. God became man. He took upon human flesh, humanness. That is the humiliation of Christ. For whenceforth, before he became man, Christ was God, fully divine, invisible, immortal. And then he became visible. And that's why we see in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Paul says there is one God. He's thwarting the critics that were there in those days. Many pagans believed in many gods. The God of rain, the God of fertility, the God of, 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 of you know, food, famine, etc., etc., Paul says there is only one God. Paul, a Jew, who was sent to the Gentiles to preach the gospel, says there is only one God through which Gentiles and Jews alike must worship. Jesus is the one who's the mediator for all these people. And this is why, dear friends, when we think about what's happening in Israel and how people are like, oh, pray for Israel, they're a special nation. We acknowledge that they are a special nation and that God dealt with them in, the, in history. But we acknowledge that the same gospel is the, is the, sa the same gospel, the same Christ is the one they are meant to believe and to be saved. There is no other way. Scripture denies that. Scripture goes against two entrances. It goes against multiple entrances. It's only one. Don't let any other, well, any other teaching convince you otherwise. Because you will then find yourself on a slippery slope. 
The gospel that was preached by Paul focused itself on Christ. Paul was all Christ. Those people say, ah, I believe in Jesus, not Paul. I take Jesus' teachings and not Paul. Must be confused or insane. Because when you see the scriptures, you see that Paul preached Christ. Ephesians, Romans, Thessalonians. Paul was all about Christ. And hence he preached what Christ preached. Amen? He did. He didn't contradict the Lord. Me. In verse 5 we read that for there is one God, so the exclusivity of God, the same Yahweh that was in the Old Testament, the same one that is, that is there in the New Testament is here now. For there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We've already covered that. Fully God, fully man. Thus able to reconcile God and humanity. Some people imagine that they've got many gods. You know? When you evangelize to people, you hear that, I know, Edina, I just believe in this. And you... You can't help but feel pity. Because you're saying, listen, all those things are imaginary. There is only one true God. And there's only one way to salvation. There's only one name under heaven through which man must be saved. Those who trust in idols, trust in foolishness, and they trust in nothing. Look at Psalm 135. We return there. Psalm 135. And I'll read from verse 15 to 19. To emphasize or reinforce this point. The idols of nations are silver and gold. The work of human hands. It's money. People love money and idols. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So when you make idols and you bow down to an idol. You become like an idol yourself. And then the psalmist says. Oh house of Israel. You who are called children of God. Bless the Lord. Oh house of Aaron. Bless the Lord. O church of the living God, bless the Lord. Turn from idolatry. Turn from idolatry. Turn from idolatry. Turn to the living God. And dear friends, if you do not have any mediator between you and God, that is not Christ Jesus then we are, not, we are to conclude that that is not Christianity or true religion. Therefore, that is not a saving religion. It will take you to hell. The God who is jealous, whose name is jealous. That is one of his names. If you read your Bible. Demands exclusivity. Exclusive allegiance. No other No Zimu, that is an idol. No Allah, that is an idol. No Mashavi, that is an idol. 
nor self. You yourself can become an idol. You can worship yourself. There are people who worship themselves. All these people about, oh, you know, I'm trying to find myself. The essence of life is that I find myself and beauty and, and all these things. You can see that this person is worshipping themselves. They are God unto themselves. But woe is unto them. For before they know it, God will put them a stop to their tracks if they don't repent. For there's one mediate, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. At the proper time, the gospel was unveiled. What was previously veiled is now unveiled that Christ died there is no longer any need for you to go to the temple to make sacrifices or to have a, a priest to make sacrifices for you Christ is the once and for all sacrifice he was sufficient he is sufficient he was the ransom. And all who submit their lives to him will not be ashamed. All who submit their lives. Dear friends, I have to say that I have currently a brother who is in ICU. And when I look at his life, And I look at the promises of God. I am confident that He will be with the Lord. Not because of His own works, for I know that He is a sinner, but because of the Lord that He trusted. And he will hear the Lord willing. Good and faithful servant. You have run the race. You have fought the good fight. You have given yourself to the Lord. You lived for the Lord. Christ was your mediator. And he will be ushered into the bosom of the one who loves him more than us. Won't you turn to Christ? His sacrifice is sufficient for you and I. Take your life seriously. I hope that it doesn't take an accident or you breaking your leg or you finding yourself in some sort of misfortune for you to really wake up 
We see that the gospel that was preached by Paul finally was firmly established in Christ. Where do we find this? We find this in verses 6 to 7. Listen to this. Although he's speaking to him, speaking about himself, it all points to Christ. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth and I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. For this, who calls ministers of the gospels, dear friends? It's Christ. Who appointed Paul? Christ. He says it over and over again. He says, just in case you don't understand, just in case you've got amnesia, you forget, I was appointed by Christ. So we see that the gospel that he preaches is firmly established in Christ. It focuses itself on Christ, is firmly established in Christ, centers itself around Christ. Paul makes it very clear. He was to herald and proclaim the good news. Paul was under arrest by God. If you read Acts 19 verse 9 verse 16, it actually says a chilling statement. If God says, let him be, for I have chosen him to suffer for my sake. Paul was a slave to sin and a slave to Judaism. And Christ arrested him and made him his own slave. Paul says, I know no other fountain. I know no other savior. I'm under arrest by the grace of God. Can you say that about yourself this morning? Can you say I live for no other? Can, can, can we say about you at the end of your life, this person ran the race. This person was arrested by Christ. They lived for God. Or other things will be said about you. Say, ah, this one was a pretender. What a hypocrite. You know? He said he loved Christ, but you guys didn't know him. We knew him. And Paul says, for well, this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. So he was a preacher and an apostle. He saw the risen Christ. He, was, he calls himself the least of the apostles. Born prematurely, as it were. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. An emphasis, an oath. He almost binds himself with an oath. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. <laughs> this is a, a remarkable statement, friends. This is a remarkable statement that brings focus to what God is doing on this planet. That God is in the business of saving sinners, Gentiles. That the gospel has now left the shores of Jerusalem. And it is now heard and preached in Africa. 
And people are becoming saved through it. And people who once worshipped idols and walked around naked and feasted on each other as cannibals now have heard the saving gospel and have turned to the maker of heaven and earth. That is, that is what the gospel does. That is the truth. And, 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 and as I said earlier on, if you read the Bible, you see this is all for God's glory. He is accomplishing His purpose. Soon, dear friends, all of us who have believed will now be ushered into the presence of God in Christ. And God, the Lord willing, will be also collecting other people we don't know. The Spurgeons were here. The Whitfields were here. The, the Edwards were here. The Puritans, the Charnocks, they were here. They preached the same truth. They, they lived out this truth. They loved their Savior, not because they loved Him first, but He loved them first. And this is, if you cannot see that, this is what God is doing. I cannot help you. I cannot. If you cannot see that this gospel is precious and this is what we live for or we are to live for, then I cannot help you. I leave you to God. I leave you to God himself and say, God, this, these are your people. And even as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning, we have the mandate to, to partake together, to refocus ourselves on the truth. To recommit ourselves to the truth. Because dear friends, there shall never be a time like this again. Don't waste this opportunity. And one last thing. Pray for this gospel to advance. Because this is what Paul is urging Timothy to pray for. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, so grateful for your mercies, your grace, the gospel, the truth. Thank you that Jesus paid the debt that we owed. Thank you that Christ is the mediator between God and man and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning oh how we would how we would savor the truth how we would experience salvation in its fullest whilst awaiting eternal glory Would you hear our cry this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.